What are you drinking tonight? So my wife has been hooking me up with tequila and squirt. So it's a Mexican, yeah, it's, it's a Mexican recipe for my family. It's tequila, squirt, lime, and salt with some uh, some ice, and you kind of mix it all in together, and it's great. So I'm the kind of person that one or two, I'm good for the night. This is my fifth. These are the tales of college basketball past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending team seasons, on and off court moments, memories of personal fandom catastrophe and elation, and yes, alcohol. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. And I'm Pat. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the college basketball stories. I'm Andre Greska, and I'm going to tell you the story of the 2011-2012 Marquette Golden Eagles. So before we get started, I think it's important to go back a little bit in time because the story of Marquette, it gets kind of intriguing, interesting, I don't know how you want to call it, but like different than most schools. So when Tom Crean left in 2008, the year I started school, People thought that was going to be the end of Marquette. Marquette had had a, a resurgence under him. Obviously, the 2003 Final Four with Dwayne Wade. Um, we had the three amigos from 2006 to 2009. That included a, a lot of NCAA trips and a lot of wins, but a lot of uh, at least appearances there. But then he leaves for Indiana. Stuff kind of hits the fan, if you know what I mean. And we don't know where Marquette's going to go. And they end up hiring Buzz Williams, who is a little bit of an unknown. Yes, he's he's good with the recruiting trail, but he's one year of NCAA coaching, head coaching experience, happens to be with New Orleans, and he quits. So to make him your coach, and again, Marquette isn't this end-all, be-all program, but it, it's, in the, it's up there. I think number 35 on, on, on Ken Palm's ratings in terms of overall programs, they're famous. They're, they're known. They, they spend a lot of money on basketball. They want to be good at basketball. There's a lot of good history there. So to hire Buzz Williams and unknown to replace Tom Crean in 2008 was a gamble to the list, but it paid off, and it paid off in spades. He was left with an amazing team in that 2009 season. You had Dominic James at point guard. You had Gerald McNeil at shooting guard. You had Wes Matthews at small forward. Zadar um, Hayward at uh, power forward. And that team was one of the best teams Mark has ever seen. A little bit of injuries derailed. But at the end of the day, that team performed up to expectations. You go to 2010, um, a little bit of an unknown year. You have the three... Um, very short people, as we like to say politely nowadays, in terms of Gubian and Acker for point guards. They uh, perform beyond wild expectations. I don't know. They were probably picked to be 40th in the Big East and up in the, in the top, top five. So you go into 2011, um, and the only thing missing for Buzz, Buzz's resume is an actual deep tourney run. This is a team that at the time, you don't know it's full of NBA bets, but it, it's got quite a few of them. You have Lazar Hayward, who would be a first-round NBA draft pick. You have Jimmy Butler, who would be a uh, first-round NBA draft pick. You have Jay Crowder, who would be a second-round draft pick. 
You have Detroit Bikes, who would have a, a nice career with the Toronto Raptors. You have Vander Blue, who would sniff the NBA a few times. But um, that's the year that breaks kind of the seal in terms of getting to the second weekend um, in the NCAA tournament. They beat Xavier. They beat Syracuse. Uh, a really, really good Cus Johnson call where um, a three-pointer by DJO from Jimmy Butler kind of sends him to the, to the second weekend against North Carolina. And we're not going to talk about that. I mean, I'm not going to say that I spent a whole lot of money in London when I was studying abroad, kind of <laughs> throttled by that North Carolina team. But but whatever, they, they made it to the second weekend. So that's a really short kind of version of getting to the 2012 season because the 2012 season is kind of a really, really good marker for the program as a whole. Buzz Williams now is a known commodity. Um, he's been talked about in, in a bunch of press circles. He's been talked about in a lot of other coaching circles. Um, there's been a couple rumor mills about him. Uh, but he has a really good team coming in. Um, it's only 22 in the AP preseason poll, but internally, like, there's a lot of chatter. You have Jay Crowder, who was a JUCO player, second year. He had a very good, um, quote-unquote, junior season. His first season in, in D1, but his second season, um, but, it, but his third season overall. You have DJO, who's a first-team uh, Big East selection, uh, high flyer, shoots a three, um, can create off the bounce. You have Junior Kadugan, who's kind of that point guard that can really put it together. Um, you have Vander Blue, who's a local kid, um, very good defensively. You have Jamil Wilson, transfer uh, from Oregon. There's a lot of promise. Um, big, big guy, 6'7", can shoot the three, can score inside and out. You have a decent recruiting class in terms of Todd Mayo, who is O.J. Mayo's brother and will forever be known as O.J. Mayo's brother in terms of any broadcast <laughs> you see on TV. So you have the makings of a good team. Again, ranked in the top 25, one of, one of the first teams in a while to be to, to have that kind of and their resume. But obviously, you don't know how it's going to turn out. So season starts, just, just romp. Just romp through the first two games and the first three games don't, don't even like know the score. Don't, doesn't really matter. They, they just, they, they crush them. They, they go to the paradise jam. And I think now we're used to having everything be broadcast on TV. And, and I bring this up because the paradise jam in 2012 was something you had to pay for, like not, not, <laughs> not like pay for a channel, just pay for the actual event. And it baffles me. Like what, Person would pay for college basketball preseason tournaments or like not non postseason tournaments. So, I mean, I digress. All I'm going to say is that I did not watch one of those games because they were on pay for TV. They were they were not on your local or basic or even like plus TV channels. I remember I went to the Caffrey's, which is a bar on campus, to try to watch one of the games, and even they didn't have that channel. They didn't want to pay for it. Can you imagine a bar not wanting to pay for a TV channel that's showing Marquette locally? It's that like Flow Sports before Flow Sports. Like, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it is, it, it just, it makes absolutely no sense in 2012, 2022 terms. But in 2012, like, I guess it sort of made financial sense. Obviously, not that much, though. But I remember I was at a bar and I hear that Marquette beat Mississippi by 30. And again, we knew Marquette was going to be good. This is a good team, had a lot of good pieces, a lot of senior pieces. 
but not like beat a high major by 30 points good. So you take that in stride and you're like, okay, well, they, they, they had a good game, but that was a really, really good kind of preface to what was to come because um, they, they won the next the next game, which is a championship game in the Paris Jam against Norfolk State. And again, normally, who cares about Norfolk State? I, like, I'm probably the first person ever on one of these to, to mention Norfolk State. Maybe we I'm, haven't done it. We haven't done a Mizzou one yet, but this is this year. So exactly. still played them twice yes. in 14 days. Yes, I was there. The first Norfolk State game, I had to work deadline. I had to, I was on the newspaper at the time, Market Tribune. And it was like one of those games that no one really cares for. So I took the shift in, in, in the studio and, and kind of laid out the newspaper that day. And they won by like a hundred, maybe, I don't know. Close, close enough. But then they played, right. them, they played them again in the Paradise Jam. And who plays Norfolk State twice in one year, like, willingly? Nobody. So, I mean, that's weird enough. But the, the, the really weird part was that it was a really good game. Like, maybe. I don't know. I'm just reading the Kemp Upsetter. I did not watch it. Again, I had to pay for it, and I was a college student at the time. I did not watch it. But it was fifty nine fifty seven. So normally, again, that that would was be the, a was that the price or the score? <laughs> that was the score. That was the final score both, of the both. championship. The championship <laughs> of the Paradise Jam is hosted on Fox Sports seventeen or whatever. <laughs> and, so, and if you're going to a, a national national audience to pay for a, for a game. Who who else could you ask Listen, for Mar- than Marquette, Marquette versus, versus Norfolk, Norfolk State? State. <laughs> national audiences. International at this point, I'm guessing, because everyone wants to watch it. But it was weird. Like, you played Norfolk State twice in three games. And the first game, you won by 100. And the next game, it's, like, down to the last buzzer. So that was weird. But I will say, for Marquette's sake right here, Norfolk State beat Missouri, a number two seed in the NCAA, with Kyle O'Quinn, a future New York Knicks, quote-unquote, star. (laughs) So... It doesn't feel as bad in 10 years of hindsight, but at the time it was like, it's, it's kind of weird. Like, why are we only beat Norfolk State by two when we just beat them by 100 like six days ago? Anyways, we come out of Paradise Jam with a trophy, one of the first trophies under Buzz in terms of the uh, preseason tournaments, and look, feeling good, flying high, probably top 20 at this point in time, when they face Wisconsin. Like, I'm not going to tell it, if, if you're listening to this, I'm guessing you know the rivalry between Marquette and Wisconsin. There's a little bit of a little brother, big brother syndrome in that Wisconsin feels are the big brother. They don't really care about Marquette, but you'll see them commenting on everything Marquette does. So there's not really that. But I mean, there's no denying Wisconsin was really, really good this season. I, if I have to remind you, Jordan Taylor was kind of like the best at the time. Um, if, if you care about Ken Palm or advanced metrics, like, his numbers were like off the chart, over 120 O rating on high usage. He was just like the epitome of what you would want in a college scoring guard. And to make matters worse, as we're going to Madison, a top 10 team at the time, to try to take them on, your point guard, Junior Cadugan, is suspended. Why? 
like I've checked. I've talked to people that know. Like I've read stories at the time. No one actually knows why. Like why is he suspended? Why would Buzz Williams suspend his point guard? The, the like the man that's leading the charge, the man that's dishing out to DJO and, and Jay Crowder. Why in the world would you want to like handcuff yourself? So there's theories, a little bit of academics. Again, I heard something about a shopping cart and a car. I can't verify. I can't confirm. It might be complete conjecture at this point in time. But all I can say is that I was there. I was in the call center calling it for MU radio. And at the time, Junior Cadogan was definitely on the bench without his uniform on. So you're taking on a top 10 team in the Cole Center, a place they'd only lost once in the past, like, 50 games. They're not even being, like, facetious at this point. Like, legit, they don't lose there at all in non-conference. And they win. And it is shocking. And I think, I wish I could find the radio call of that because I was going nuts and my <laughs> partner was like, all right, you got to chill out there. But I'm, I'm not a radio person. I was I was a homer and I was a columnist. And so I was going nuts. I was super happy. And I remember that whole time just thinking like, holy cow, like this is the epitome of what it, what it is to be a Marquette fan. That uh, a shorthanded team with some heroics by freshman Todd Mayo, famous brother of OJ Mayo, um, just, beat Mark, just beat a Wisconsin team that's actually good on its home court. So I'm sitting there in the press room, just like soaking all in, waiting for Bull Ryan to come out with his excuses. And I'm like, just taking screenshots of tweets. And th again, this is 2012. So Twitter was around, Twitter was a thing, but it's not the same as you have now. Like it, it, it was actually more insightful in terms of the, the amount of tweets you find. Cause, cause there, there was a less volume at the time. So like I'm posting them on our site and people are just, there was the most viewed a day in terms of pain touches ever for like the next six months. It was just, everyone wanted to know about it. So this is a seminal moment in the season because while Marquette was good before then, beating Wisconsin on its home court shorthanded marked a point in the season where this turned from a good team to like, hmm, this could be something special. So that's that's a very 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 important moment. But then, obviously, you play another game. Um, there's a couple of of cupcakes. But before then, there was a date with Washington, and I think this is like it got lost to time. But at the time, it was huge. I remember watching it on my 14 inch screen in my dorm room. It was in MSG Madison Square Garden. I don't know if it yeah, was. Yeah. Why were they playing there? It was like a Jimmy V special or whatever. Ah. It wasn't anything to do with like a tournament, but it was kind of like a one-off neutral site. And there was a revenge factor because Marquette had lost a heartbreaker in 2010 to Washington in the NCAA tournament. Um, that was a very, very loaded team. Lazar Hayward would be a first-round pick. Uh, Jimmy Butler would be a first-round pick and um, a couple of shorter guards at the time. But they had... I mean, let me let me set the picture here because it's important. In 2010, there wasn't this NCAA March Madness app. You got to watch whatever was on your damn screen. So I was in Chicago, <laughs> and I was watching Marquette, and they were up by like double digits. Let's say 12. I don't know. Close enough. They were up by a lot. There was a little bit of time left, so they cut off to a separate game. 
So then they cut back, and it's like a two-point game, and I have no idea what happened to me through that. <laughs> you could tell me that Quincy Pondoxer scored 16 straight points, and I would believe you because I have no idea. And to this day, I have not watched what happened. But they had 18 consecutive intentional fouls, and they've just been shooting free throws nonstop. All that I know is CBS cut back from a unsurmountable double-digit lead to a, oh, this is a really good game within like a 10-minute span, and I have no idea what happened between. Again, I digress. Marquez lost that game. I don't want to talk about it. But we're back at Madison Square Garden. It's a really, really tight game, and Jay Crowder hits a three from the right-hand corner to win the game, and it's a huge, huge, huge win. Um, it kind of cements Marquette's status as not just a one-off beating up uh, Wisconsin, not just a one-off in terms of the Paradise Jam. Um, like, this is a, a legit team you got to kind of contend against. But the one negative to come out of that is Chris O'Toole, probably not a household name nationwide, but something that Marquette fans all around Wisconsin will, will know. He was a huge piece for about 14 years at Marquette. I think he played six six full seasons at some point. I don't know how it works in NCAA regulations, but... He graduated with 12 majors. Trust me on this. <laughs> Great guy. Really, really... Nice the person. Vander Blue. <laughs> Trust me on this. But he, bounced, he bounced up the GPA. He was one of the only big guys Marquette had, and not just one of them, like legit, like the only big guy. So what ended up happening? He was a glasses guy. Is after that? Yep. Marquette gets ranked number eight after that win. They're they're like on top of the world. They're riding high, but you know, something's gonna the bottom's gonna drop out because it always drops out for Marquette. So after a couple more cupcakes, they visit LSU. I, I have zero recollection of this. Like I don't know if I. Just drowned it out in my sorrows or what, but they lost against LSU and then they beat Milwaukee. But then I got to talk about Vanderbilt. You know why? Because that was a home game and I brought my then fiance to the game. One of the few times she went to a different school. Um, it was winter break. You know, we, we go up there. It's Marquette's still ranked in the top 20. It's a big game. And they lay down the clunker of all clunkers. I don't think I've ever seen a worse home game in my life. Like, I'm being a little bit over dramatic and saying they were down by 50 at the first time out, but they lost by like, I don't know what it Sounds was. right. Yeah, they lost by like 27 at home to Vanderbilt. Like, I know Vanderbilt was good that year, but think about Kevin Stallings, who drove a pit program to the ground, like just completely demolishing a really, really good Marquette team at home. Like, I don't know what happened that day, but in general, that was kind of like a, Popping of the balloon, where you're riding high, even if you lost once, even though like you know the team is not as good as the ranking. It's like, oh man, if they can lose by 27 at home to an okay Vanderbilt team, like I probably don't want to trust this team. And again, made worse by the fact that I was there in person, which is not mm-hmm. always the case. But in general, um, it was it was kind of a, a coming back down to earth moment. Um, so then there was a couple more games. Uh, it's a, a fool me once, shame on you. Yeah. Fool me twice, not yeah. going to happen. Marquette. Exactly. I, think <laughs> I know what we are. <laughs> the, the previous year in 2011, they did the same thing against Florida. If I believe. no, that was the next year. This is, this is a precursor to what happened in 2013, where 
for some unexplicable reason, they would lay down a non-conference clunker against an SEC team that just like made you want to doubt everything you believe in. It's like, how can we be this good at some point and be this bad against SEC teams? Why? Why can't we? Why can't we compete? Why can't we like try to do good? Why can't I impress my fiance? Like I want, I want her to like basketball. Please, please. But again, it's not for my fiance. At least for the recruits sitting behind. Them. Come on, guys. Somebody, please, just just try, try not to suck. That was my cousin mantra for 2016. And I guess that's a little bit later. In any case, we 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 got we got taken back down a peg after that uh, Vanderbilt fiasco. And didn't have the greatest start to the Big East season. There was uh, a really close Georgetown loss and another close Syracuse loss. But at this point, Marquette is 12 and four, um, really good early beginning, but but lost four of his last six games. And you don't really know if the team has kind of lost itself. So again, you, you kind of the doubts start to creep in because the doubt is usually right. Um, and they, they win at home against St. John. They win against Pittsburgh. But I want to talk about the Louisville game. Um, it's one of the few games I like distinctly remember. So I, at the time, I was on the newspaper, the Marquette Tribune shouts. But I wasn't a, a beat writer. I was a columnist. So that means I don't have to go to every game. I, don't, I could just go as a fan. So this was a Martin Luther King special. It was a noon tip-off very early, so the, the crowd was relatively sparse. You know, people still work on Martin Luther King Day. And I'm sitting in the top row by myself, literally like 10 rows in front of me, 10 rows behind me, 10 rows to the side, just nobody next to me <laughs> by myself, which is a really, like if you've ever experienced just sitting by yourself, like not with someone else, just by yourself in an empty stadium, or at least a half-empty section. Just a What's room. wrong with me? Really, really nice place to be. It's, it's just like calming. You, you get to like be yourself. Like you're watching on a super large screen TV. But I digress. So Marquette's down 18 to 2 in five minutes. In five minutes of a noon tip-off on Martin Luther King on Big Monday ESPN, Marquette is down 16. 18 to 2. <laughs> Again, I already have all these doubts after losing four of the last six games. So well, he's notorious for starting out pretty fast, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mr. 16 Seconds was definitely out <laughs> to a fast start. But but Marquette is not one to come back from large deficits, as shown by the Vanderbilt game just, like, six days ago. So I'm sitting up there, like, thinking, like, how am I going to lambast this team into, like, not sucking? Because, you know, they're all going to read this Market Tribune column. Obviously. Obviously. Oh, they, of course. They, they definitely read the student newspaper. Yeah, That's the first uh, thing oh, shit. Andre, you know Andre's when, here. We got to like, bring our A game or else we're going to hear about DGO it. DGO wakes up on Tuesdays and Thursdays when the Market Tribune publishes. The first thing he does <laughs> is rushes down to the mess, opens up the Market Tribune for the sports section, and sees how what I believe, what Andrea Greska thinks is important in, in that day. So they're down 18 to 2. But like the weird thing is they played the most phenomenal next 35 minutes I've probably seen in my life. They won by double digits. And again, Marquette fans 
probably know this as opposed to national fan base or national just audience but um one of the most famous kind of videos on the internet of jay crowder in, in his marquette days is a throat slash with a really kind of matching video that that kind of like i don't, I don't know what the, the actual music is but it was against this louisville team where you know, he says it's over it's over and he's he does two throat slashes uh but that was this game and like kind of going back to it obviously i was in the, the nosebleeds of the bradley center so i didn't see it at the time but watching it again it's like oh yeah I, I was there i saw it so marquette actually wins this game and wins it going away thanks to some of the the, the heroics of jay crowder and they end up winning one, two, three, four, six, seven straight games so they don't suck and that's good <laughs> it's, it's really good marquette not really sucking yeah marquette fan, not sucking hey, is actually good suck. not sucking check, normally check good. that box let's see are we good we don't Again, know yet but we don't suck i'm a cubs fan so my, my mantra is is so you Madden, suck try not to suck that's 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 literally what i wear on my on my heart every single year like i don't i don't have to be good just just please don't suck and I, I thought this was an easy one for the, for Marquette that year, but the, I had a little bit of doubt going into the, the Louisville game. Again, Louisville, they won that one. They won against Providence. They won in South Florida. They won Villanova. They won Seton Hall. Um, so they were 19-4 and four at this point in time, finishing January on a high. And they have two very, very clear shots at Big East Player of the Year in Darius Johnson-Odom and Jay Crowder. Um, and I can't, I can't say enough about them because even though this team is is very good and it ends up being very good, they they drove this team like no other. Like the only other person with an O rating over a hundred, which means better than average, was Jamil Wilson. That was that was barely at one hundred three. So when I say this team was good, I mean Jay Crowder and DJO were good because they were so good. I, I think there there was this one. Um, the, the, the athletic department made this like we used to have called um, the big heads. I don't know if you've seen them in other arenas or whatever, but it's just giant posters or whatever. You have to give your ID and you rent one out for the half, and then you hold it up and hopefully ESPN shows you on the screen or whatever. But they had this special one. It was like a monster where it had both DJO and a Jay Crowder, and they have arms flailing, and it's like the coolest thing. They don't even let normal students like hold it for the for the full game but that that's what it was like there's a perfect encapsulation of what that season was because jay crowder was so freaking good and djo was so freaking good that even though the rest of the players were like fine role players or mediocre or maybe had ups and downs like they, they just took over every single game they needed to take over they were they were like the antidote to whatever was ailing this team and when they had their media day, right before the media day, when they released their new jerseys, which is a big thing, Jordan Brand, Marquette, um, they had a, a, a unveiling that was for some student, for some uh, media members, and we were the ones invited into there. So Jay Crowder's um, modeling, I think DJ was there as well, maybe Jamil as well, Jamil Wilson, and his he has these dreadlocks and if if you don't know who jay crowder is like imagine predator like that's that, that's the kind of yeah, image yeah. you want to get that's exactly who he is um but he's got these this this very sharp announced face and this this huge head of dreadlocks that kind of is menacing at a time but 
So I'm there. This muscular body. Yes, <laughs> we'll let the football team onto the basketball court. Because <laughs> DJO is built. Uh, yeah. Jake Crowder is built. Um, Junior Cadogan is built. Like these are guys that probably belong as a tight end on on the Packers rather than, than a power forward on, on the Mark Golden Eagles. But in any case, it was late October. They are unveiling their new uniforms. And again, I don't know how familiar you are with Marquette, but one of the biggest claims to fame for Marquette, weirdly enough, is the uniform legacy slash culture. So in the 1970s, um, Al McGuire, the patron saint of Marquette basketball, really had an eccentric style. There's a ton of really, really good um, pictures, but the Bumblebee uniforms in the early 70s were outlawed by the NCAA. Can you imagine being so like forward fashionable the ncaa says you cannot wear these you cannot have these on the court and that was because they were so psychedelic that these blue <laughs> uniforms with, with parallel yellow stripes were psyching out the opponents that the ncaa literally outlawed them you cannot wear this on the court okay so now they've had a bunch of other ones um but the uniform culture just stuck. So you had the untucked jerseys with Bo Ellis in the 1970s, um, including the 1977 championship team. You've had the urban camo with the Doc Rivers, where they had a white jersey or a blue jersey, but with the, the, the piping on the right-hand side and the left-hand side being kind of like a camo with a blue and gold. Um, you've had a lot of really, really good uniforms throughout the days. And now Jordan Brand, thanks to Dwayne Wade's partnership with Jordan at the time, um, first it was Converse, but um, again, thanks to Dwayne Wade, patron saint of um, modern basketball at Marquette, uh, he went to he went to Converse as his as his sponsor. Then he went to Jordan. So because he switched from Converse to Jordan, from Converse <laughs> to Jordan, had to, that had to be a tough uh, tough decision oh, for him. You know, Converse, hey, love you guys, but listen, hey, Jordan, I'm going to take the recruiting hit on this one. <laughs> but yeah, so they're releasing these new uniforms, and again, I might be more of a uni head than most people, but at the time, it was a really, really big deal, because only a few schools, I think definitely Duke, definitely UNC, I'm thinking Ohio State and Syracuse were the only four at the time that had the, the patterns on the back, so underneath the uniform, they had these, like, camouflage images that you could see. So Marquette got the opportunity to have that. So they had Al McGuire in 1977, well, one of some of the, the landmarks on campus. So it was a really big deal. They were releasing those uniforms, and uh, we were one of the few outlets invited. And so I'm, we're there, we're taking pictures, and Jay Crowder forgot his ponytail, his little rubber band, to hold his dreadlocks in place. So he's, he's going around asking people, like, hey, you got a point? It's like six dudes. No one's got a ponytail. But, <laughs> but, 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 but. but. My fiance, my my current wife, happened to give me a couple of ponytails, and I had them on my wrist. I don't know why. I really don't know why. Like, I probably fell asleep with them. I mean, I I don't know, but I have some on me. So he sees them. Like, hey, can I borrow it? So I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. So I give them to him. But long story, I, I have no idea how we got here. I was talking about Jake Crowder, but he's a really good dude. Um, in general, great guy, <laughs> great guy. Uh, he is like 
all business 100% of the time. Like whether he's on the court or he's off the court, he just wants to get the best product out there. And I think that really meshed in terms of what Buzz Williams wanted at the time because he was a no-nonsense no kind of guy. So with, with Jay's leadership, with Buzz's leadership, they were able to kind of like bounce back from that kind of little funk. Um, and I should mention, they were ranked eighth at one point in this season uh, against when they were going against LSU. Eighth doesn't seem anything special, but it was the tie for the mm -hmm. highest, highest rank Marquette has gotten since 1978. So as much history as Marquette has, this was tied for like the best public facing team at any one point in time since 1978. And that includes the, the year they won. Team. 1978 was the year after they won. So they, they, they won in 1977 with Al McGuire. 1978 was when after Al McGuire retired and Hank Raymond's took over the team and they lost a heartbreaker in the first round. I think in, I'm not sure where. I was negative 13, 23 years old. But, but, but. Even with, with the objectiveness that, in, in high quotations, objectiveness that comes with, with NCAA polls, um, no one thought a market team was as good as it was as this 2012 team since 1978. So you, I mean, that's a really, really good barometer of public opinion. As much as you may like or dislike um, the top 25 polls, like I feel it's a very good place to kind of measure yourself against history because it's journalists that watch the game. It's journalists that are immersed in the culture that are that are voting on this. So whether or not you care about it, whether or not you think it's important, I think it's actually a very, very good reference point. So when we say this is tied for the best Marquette team since 1978, it means it means a lot because it means nationally, because Marquette, it's a regional school. Marquette's kind of well known for basketball, but not really known nationally. If you say Marquette, 50% of people are going to say Michigan because Marquette, Michigan is a more mm -hmm. famous place than Marquette uh, University in Milwaukee. So when we, when we say Marquette, what we mean is is that this basketball program is actually making a, a dent nationally. And this 2012 team early on in the season did that. It, it, again, it beat Wisconsin. It rode to the Paradise Jam. It beat Washington, and it, and it made a mark. Obviously, it had a little bit of a pitfall, but it, it, at its high point early on in the season, it was something that people could say, hey, this is one of the top 10 teams in the country. Number eight, so they're getting national attention, but do you, what do you remember on campus or locally or nationally? Like, what, what's the buzz, no pun intended? So, so let's, let's compare it. In 2009, Marquette had a really good team with the three amigos, all seniors. You had Dominic James, Jerome McNeil, Wesley Matthews, um, all ranked very highly, very successful. Obviously, this is their senior year, so you had a lot of student buy-in from the previous years. Um, but even then, it, I, I, remember, I remember I had, I went on a trip down to DePaul, so they had a bus. They went two buses out and brought student section to the All-State Arena. Um, but there was these stickers they handed out to us that said, sell UConn. And what that meant was that UConn, who was ranked in the top five at the time of, that we played um, DePaul, was not a sellout. So what, what, what they wanted to get was this kind of like viral marketing where people would, Marquette fans would kind of like buy tickets to face UConn. 
So that was like kind of my initial barometer for like what a team would be. Um, and I don't know if UConn ended up selling out. All I know is that Dominic James ended up busting his knee in that game and my heart would break forever and that whole season would be shot to shit. But, 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 but this was a point that was similar in that people believed in this team. Um, the student section in terms of like when you had to get there, you had to get there an hour before to get to the lower bowl the, of the Bradley Center. And it surprised me at the time because I was not very well cultured, but I didn't realize that student sections are small around the country. At Marquette, the Bradley Center, there was 4,000 student sections out of 8,000 undergrad population. So, I mean, that's that's half of the all of the undergrads that would, that would buy $99, $129 tickets to the, to the games. But in general, if you wanted to get to the lower bowl, you had to get there 30 to 45 minutes early for a good game or two to three hours early for like a, a very good game or like six to seven hours late for like a Wisconsin type game. Um, but that in terms of like putting into perspective, like every single game that year was really, really good. Eight straight games prior to visiting Notre Dame. Um, and it just got trounced, like not even close. Um, 17 or 18 point game, I don't even know. Um, but in general, Notre Dame has been a house of horrors for Marquette. And it's extremely painful as a Marquette alumni because there's so many students that cheer for Notre Dame football and it's, Petrifying, petrifying between the, the the Wisconsin love for football and the Notre Dame love for football. Like I get it. Like Marquette doesn't have a football team. You don't have an allegiance to there, but it's just it's just so tough to see like one of your. You biggest, don't have to root for like a competitor. Yeah, it's your biggest <laughs> in-state rival. People are, and then your biggest like Catholic rival. People are cheering for. So it it hurts. It hurts as a fan. But I, again. Again, I get it. I get it. There's no allegiance to Marquette football. It's been dysfunct since 1960. There's no allegiance to kind of like cross there. So people are free to undefeated since 19. Undefeated. One of my my good Twitter friends, Joe McCann, he he had a sign at uh, college game day. I think in like 2017. That was Marquette football undefeated since 1960. One of my favorite pictures ever because it's true. It's true. I I think I I think I took a picture of that actually. I'm I'm, I'm, hope you did. Because it, again, it, it, it describes Marquette's football fandom to a T. So I don't hold it against people that like football and like other teams. I, I, I get it int- intrinsically. I do, but just when it comes to the basketball and like, it just it bleeds in. And so losing to Notre Dame hurts, and then losing constantly to Notre Dame at the Joyce Center really, really hurts. Against Her- Luke Herringotti, just just. Demolished my childhood. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. What it is about him? Like he was a ogre, like looking, <laughs> looking like guy that just was tremendous at basketball and had an O rating of one thirty every year on forty percent usage. So it, it it hurt me deeply to see him just score bucket after bucket after bucket <laughs> for like seventeen straight years. But I mean, he, Tyler Hansborough wanted it. Yeah, I mean, at least Tyler Harris at Hansborough only killed a better version of Tyler. Yeah, Hansborough, <laughs> was like twice a year, and it was in the NCAA in the Big East tournament every year, and it just we did not have an answer for him. So yeah, it, it, it hurt to lose to Notre Dame, but at least I was conditioned through my previous fandom 
to to like accept the losses there. So I was like, okay, you know what? It it it's just a rite of passage. We're gonna lose at Notre Dame. It's gonna well, suck. You, you paid. You paid in all Milwaukee people paid in advance because Pat Conson had twenty three and eleven that game, and then if only they knew nine years Is, later. He, was that? He, Big East, who who's the Big East Player of the Year? Is that Big East Player of the Year, Pat Connaughton? No, that was fresh. That was like true freshman. I'm just out of okay. Boston. I'm okay. gonna I'm gonna go Damn. 23 and 11 on Vander Blue. It hurts. Yeah, it really really hurts. Oh, but I mean, I guess it's a good time to say that this team, this Marquette team, for as good as it was, and it was really good, and it was very good, and we'll talk about the highs that are to come. It had a switch. And by that, I mean, it did not try every game. And it was clear as day. It was evident. We already talked about the Louisville game a little bit where they were down 18 to two in five minutes. So like when you have a team that's good and it knows that it's good, it doesn't really like play a full 40. It plays like the 32 that it wants and the eight, whatever, whatever. Obviously that doesn't always work. And did not work against was uh, against um, Notre Dame at that, at that time, but but this team was this was the last team that actually won at Villanova before um, this this January win recently. Um, it won at the Wells Fargo, but you think even then it was down by like fifteen at half. I remember watching with my girlfriend at Western Illinois University of all places, and it's just like. Why, why are they not trying? Like, you could tell they were going half speed. You could tell, like, they weren't really into it. And then the second half switch flips, and they've, they've got a 20-0 run. they got a 15-0 run. they got a 10 run, and all of a sudden they're up 10 at the Wells Fargo Center against Villanova. Again, not the same Villanova that we're used to recently. A Villanova. Still that, Villanova. Yeah, it's still Villanova. still good. Um, but, but they kind of encapsulated what this team was, where – you knew they were good. They knew they were good. And they didn't always kind of care is a very strong word. And I don't want to say they didn't care, but they knew that even if they didn't play a full 40, like they could still win the game. Like they could, they, they had a switch to flip and they knew that if, if they played a good 32, that that probably was enough on most nights. Uh, so that was after the Notre Dame loss kind of rewrited the ship. They were still 19 and five. They were eight and three in the big East. They were on pace for like a top five uh, NCAC. So it was, it was a, a little step back, but it wasn't really like a shot in anything that in any place that hurt. It was more like, okay, well they're human. They can bleed. So a nice trip to DePaul is always not, is always a good place. To, it's cathartic. I think that's the word I want to use, cathartic. And I think this is a good place to to kind of go back. So I'm from Chicago. A lot of friends that go to DePaul. A lot of friends that don't care about DePaul. And that's not going to surprise a lot of people. DePaul has sucked for as long as we've been adults. I think most people listening to this would 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 agree. But it's also a, a little bit of a house of horrors for Marquette fans because we, we have a, a saying that's, that's more recent than 2012, but it, it, it applies. It's DLTD, don't lose to DePaul. Like, whatever you do, don't lose to DePaul. Like, they don't care. They don't care about basketball. Like, they, they care more about women's basketball. They care more about women's what 
They, they care more about everything but men's basketball. So whatever you do, if you are a coach at Marquette, you do not lose to DePaul because the moment you lose to DePaul is the moment fans can say, you suck. And good teams have lost there. In 2010, Buzz Williams lost there with a very good team. But then Wojo, I think he went 3-3. Three and three. And I know this is not 2012, but there's a lot of angst in the Marquette fans base when you talk about recent Marquette history. And, and Wojo was the coach that had the most losses to DePaul of anyone since, like, they were good in the Ray Meyer era. So not losing to DePaul is a very important milestone in the fact that you, you're not going to get any credit for beating them. The Blue Demons are going to suck every year, but you're, you're going to get a lot of demerits if you lose to them. And if you lose to them consistently, it's going to take a good chunk of your support away. So this team, again, had lost in 2010. So recently, with a very good team to DePaul, um, they didn't repeat that feat. Um, they wanted a good, they beat a good Cincinnati team. They won at Connecticut. They beat Rutgers. And then... They set up a showdown against West Virginia. Now, Marquette and West Virginia are not necessarily rivals in any sense of the word. Like, what does a team from Milwaukee have to do against a team from Morgantown? Like, there's no real connection there in terms of natural rivalries or animosity or kind of connection at all. So I don't know how it began. But this is a really, really good place to talk about this 2012 team and what kind of a, a cluster it ended up being behind the scenes. So we've talked about the wins. We've talked about the, the runs. We've talked about the rankings. But if you're in the athletic department, you're kind of looking at this team like, what the shit? Like, what, what do I have to handle with? And, and and again, so we'll go back. So remember I talked about the Wisconsin game against beating um, the, the hated rival Badgers in Madison, Wisconsin? Well, they played that game without their starting point guard, Junior Cadugan. Why did they do that? I don't know. I don't think anyone other outside of the team, maybe Buzz, maybe some of the administration knows. But all we know is that we showed up at the media room and got a, a card that said, Junior Cadugan would not be playing that day. And so we just accepted it as a fact, and they won, and that was awesome. So there was a couple other things going on behind the scene, and then you get to, to West Virginia. So they're visiting Morgantown on February 14th in the, the third-to-last game of the Big East. Marquette is still squarely in the Big East hunt in this time. And most importantly, Jay Crowder, again, the guy who I gave my ponytail to it means a lot to me personally, is fighting for this big <laughs> player of the year crown. And he's facing Kevin Jones, West Virginia's own, um, basically his main rival. So it's between Jay Crowder, DJO, and Kevin Jones for biggest player of the year. And it's a big award. Again, this is before the breakup. This is when the Big East was the biggest of the conferences. It was the Big East. It was. It was. So then I remember this. I'm at home. I'm watching in my parents' basement. And it's on ESPN. I think it was a Friday game. So it wasn't even like a Saturday or, or a weekend game. It was a Friday game. And they, they mentioned that, oh, by the way, half of the Marquette team is suspended. 
Wait, what? Yeah, half. No, no, no. Half of the market. Excuse, excuse, excuse me. Half the market is suspended for half of the game. Wait, come again? I, I'm not good at math. Let me let me hear that one more time. Half of the market team is suspended for half of the game. The other half is suspended for the second half of the game. So Marquette, Marquette is fighting for its biggest crown. Jake Crowder is fighting for a biggest player of the year. We're still kind of searching for a, a top five, top four, top three seed in the NCAA tournament. But Marquette will suspend half of its players on the road against one of the top rivals for half of the game. I can't tell you which players. Andre. Are. Andre. Yeah. What happened? All right. <laughs> so let's go back. Yeah, I mean, you're trying theories. to say so you don't know you don't know which players were. Which There's theories. Players. There's theories. Yeah, so yeah. But, that yeah. team was a mess behind the scenes. And again, being good is kind of a double-edged sword because then you think you could get away with a lot of stuff. And I'm not saying I know what happened, so I don't want to take it as fact. But I'm saying that around that time, there was. An investigation into a bar fight in a, at a Water Street bar in Milwaukee that happened to catch about six of the Marquette players on tape running out of there. I don't know which ones happened to be there or which ones happened to be fighting or which ones happened to be in. Which, which bar was it? I don't know which bar it was, to be honest. I know that not all of them were 21, so they probably had something to do with it. Not all of the, the players were of age to be on Water Street, but if you've been to Milwaukee on Water Street, of age probably means like 17. So <laughs> we'll just skip that part. But in general, that I, was... I, I was... I, I, w- I was drinking there at 17. Listen, my brother, I, so, yeah. it's, it's Wisconsin. There's been studies done that there's no place that where binge drinking takes a larger component of the population than Wisconsin. It's not like an out-of-character experience. There's more bars on Water Street per capita than anywhere else in the country. So it's, it's natural. It's not bad. I'm not shaming anyone. It just so happens that there was an altercation at a bar where Marquette players happen to be residing, imbibing, vibing, whatever eyeing you want to do. But in general, minding, minding their own business. Exactly. Probably. Just, just cooling, you know, they're, they're there. <laughs> but, but what matters is that for some reason, and again, I have, there's never been any formal confirmation. I'll call it buzz next time and see what the, what the deets were. But, in general, we don't know why, but half of the team, half of this top 25 ranked, 16th ranked on Ken Palm, battling for the Big East crown, top three looking NCAA tournament team, was suspended for half of the game against one of the biggest rivals in the Big East at that time. The only one that I, for sure for a fact, no played the whole game was Jay Crowder. And again, that's important because Jay Crowder was fighting Kevin Jones. Well, that's also important because if the if a bar fight was what happened, if Jay Crowder was there, no one would have picked a fight. That's that's so, true. So, so, yes. so he 100%. must have been clean. He must have been clean. And again, if we go back to this West Virginia game, he was the only one not suspended. So whatever the other team was doing, whatever whatever the rest of the team was doing during that time, 
Jay Crowder was not a part of it. And not only did he help seal that game, he just dunked on West Virginia fans forever, sealing that Big East player of the year. Afterward, there was no question of who was going to beat him because he was just so freaking good that there was going to be no more, no more like debate. It was over. Mar- the Marquette's yeah. forward was the guy. Kevin whatever his name was, like, just did, did, not, did not come in, into play. When the administration came came to Buzz Williams' office and was like, hey, there was a fight, alleged, alleged fight, whatever you'd say, uh, between your players, all he was hoping for was, please not Jay, please not Jay, please not Jay. <laughs> and every, they listed yes. off every player, and Jay Crowder's name wasn't on there, and he was like, don't worry about it, right. we're good. I'll got take it. care of it in house. They're suspended. Has I'll figure that all out. But Jay's playing the whole yeah, game. That was it. And that, that, I'm, I mean, I'm not even being silly when he's. That's probably exactly what happened to Al McGuire's here. <laughs> the other funny part was um, Todd Mayo. Again, we mentioned him before, but OJ Mayo's brother was a freshman at the time. Um, he has a giant West Virginia logo on his forearm, tattooed there. So the fact. That he played against West Virginia. The fact that he didn't end up playing. He was for, running for the other team. <laughs> yeah, I guess, seriously. Uh, it was just it was just really funny. And Marquette ends up winning, which is good, obviously, in our case. But Buzz Williams, the showman that he is, can't take this win as the W that it is. He has to kind of show him up. What does he do? After the game, again, a big Friday on ESPN, national telecast, um, Raftery on the call. He starts dancing on center court as country roads start playing and, and knowing that the camera is on him. Like he's looking right at the camera and all of the videos and gifts you watch. So he knows what's happening. Okay. So that's like good from my perspective. Look at our coach. He's, he's just rubbing it in. He's awesome. He's the best. I love him. Whatever. Yay. So now he's going to, the telecast booth, which is right in front of the West Virginia student section. <laughs> and he's talking to them and, and Rafter's like, Hey, that was a nice dance you did there. And Buzz is like, yeah, I probably should have done that. These guys are going to kill me. And behind him, you see the police holding back like a mob of West Virginia fans. They're just dying to kill him. And they threw this like inflatable at the telecast and Rafter's like, I'm going to die. Thanks a lot, Buzz. In general, though, it was like the most satisfying feeling for a Marquette fan because you got the big win in like the most dire of circumstances and your coach is just like dancing on the logo, rubbing it in, and then you're seeing your, your rivals just like hating it all at once. So in general, this was the point where, one, Marquette sealed the fact that it was going to probably be a top three, four seed in the NCAA tournament. Two, it's going to finish the top two in the uh, Big East standings. Three, Jay Crowder was going to win the Big East player of the year. So, legit, could not ask for more, more like, satisfying victory. And to date, it is probably one of the most memorable Marquette games in the past decade plus. Okay. So, after West Virginia, um, they lost... At Cincinnati, which, whatever. And then comes the last home game of the season. Uh, for me, 
etched into my mind because again I was as I was saying this was a very very well backed team in terms of like the student section um, it's not always the case at, at a lot of schools and definitely not the case always at Marquette but um, they played Georgetown the final game of the season and I'm there I'm like I'm not going to be there as a, as a writer as my last game ever as a student so I want to go and enjoy it for all that it is so my roommate and I made the trek out to the Bradley Center early I think it was a noon tip or something like that very early and so we're there like 8 or 9 a.m in Milwaukee on a early March day so it's freezing but they have these pens in there um that kind of keep the students in check before the doors open because a lot of people go there before that and there's like four rows and like the thing that sticks out in my mind and again it just made me because I'm naive and was usually in a journalist hat or a columnist role or just not really caring about getting there in the first five rows of the Bradley Center but there's just so many people peeing in Gatorade bottles I could not believe it like how many people are like drinking that much on a 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning that they can't hold it in by 9 or 10 when the Bradley Center doors open. But you just got people puking and puking. Hey, no need, no need to shame on That's a basketball school. That's a true basketball This is positive because that means people care enough to get there and like pregame and like get drunk. But in general, it just shows you that game was a huge deal because it was the end of an era in terms of DJO and J, um, Jay Crowder graduating. Um, it was kind of Buzz's swan song before we knew it. Um, and it was just a very, very big deal. Georgetown was still good at the time. I think it, they ended up finishing top 20 in, in, in the rankings, or at least in Kenpom. Um, so Marquette goes into there with, with a ton of, of momentum. Um, the crowd is super into it. There's a really good video of the I Believe That We Can Win, which is kind of played out at the time, but in 2012 was like one of the first schools that did it at the same time. So in general, just really great vibes, really great memories. Marquette wins. Um, they get a really good seed in the uh, Big East tournament. And they just lay a clunker of an egg to Notre Dame again. Just not even close. I think they ended up losing by double digits, and that was kind of being kind to Marquette. But the Big East tournament has not been kind to Marquette fans since its inception that we've been in the league, 2006. So it's not a huge deal in terms of, like, what we remember about Marquette. But it sucks, generally. Okay, so this season, if we can encapsulate it, a lot of adversity behind the scenes, a lot of success on the stage. Um, one of the most successful teams since the Al McGuire era um, didn't win the Big East outright. I think they went 14 and four, if I'm correct. Um, but, 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 but the team that actually they finished second, the team that won it was Syracuse, who happened to be playing a Fab Mellow that was ended up being an ineligible. So they did not technically win the Big East that year. Nobody won the Big East that year. It was a default. Remember when Fab Mellow was supposed to be good? <laughs> I remember when they were dying to play him because he was going to be so good. And I'm just 
looking back at his, I think it was there for two years. I'm like, what, what did Beheim see in his practice that made him want him so bad that he's willing to like risk NCAA sanctions against him? So I don't get it. I definitely don't get it in 2022, but um, in general, for Marquette standards, 14 and four, second in the Big East, three seed in the NCAA tournament is about as good as we could ever hope for. So if we're going to grade this on, an, uh, on a school scale from A to an F, this was probably an A, not an A plus, but an A. This is a solid A. Buzz Williams is the man. Jay Crowder is the man. He gets Big East Player of the Year. First time any Marquette player won Big East Player of the Year. Um, get a three seed in the NCAA tournament. Everything is, is riding about as high as you can. There was very good vibes coming into this year because Marquette had broken the spell of getting to the second round. So since 2003, when Marquette made the final four with Dwayne Wade and Tom Crane as the coach, Marquette had not made it to the second weekend. They had very good teams multiple times against the three, against the three Migos, um, had multiple runs, but none had made it to the second weekend. So there was a huge kind of like barrier. And they had been broken in 2011 um, when they beat Xavier in the first round, Syracuse in the second round with a DJO call, Gus Johnson, like one of those like iconic Gus Johnson calls. Butler dishes mm-hmm. off to DJO, he hits the tray ball, boom, second weekend, awesome. I was in London at the time, did not watch it. I was, it was like 3 a.m., but I did watch, stay up to watch the North Carolina debacle. I went to a bar. I paid a, a cover fee, which in London is like $45, and <laughs> they lost like 50 in the Sweet 16. <laughs> so that's, that's suck. But in any ways, uh, emotion is riding high, like expectations are high. And again, I'm on the student newspaper, so I'm one of the very few that are lucky enough to be tabbed. It's like, hey, do you want to get paid to fly to Louisville to cover the first round and get a hotel and get tickets? So I've never been to the NCAA tournament. I've never watched Marquette in this kind of environment. I've never seen the crowds. So getting to go to Louisville for me feels like winning the World Series. Like it's just, it's really, really cool, let alone like any of the results that happen. But I just wish Louisville could host every single year because it is like the absolute best place for fans to watch basketball. Um, again, I'm biased. Marquette was good. They had a good seed. They did. They performed well, but it, the, the NCAA tournament kind of like gathering place. I'm not sure what street it was on, but it was only like three or four blocks away from the Yum Center. It was just packed. And that year, BBN Kentucky was there. And Murray State was there. So you could, you could like, imagine what kind of crowd, what kind of frenzy was there in, like, the, the group meeting zones. And it was St. Patrick's Day weekend, so everyone was as sloshed as sloshed could be. Duke lost to Lehigh. Everyone was super happy that, Duke's, <laughs> that Duke lost. So we have that as a, as a background setting, that Louisville is a really, really great host. So personally, I go down there with uh, my, co- my partner, Mike, Mark Strotman and a CBS Ion Marquette called Mike Singer, who just was named the U.S. Basketball Writers of America, um, Colorado Sports Writer of the Year. So 
at that time, obviously, he's just out of college. He's a Wisconsin grad. He's not a Marquette person, but um, he he rides down with us, cover Marquette. So we have this this like threesome going for us. That's that's nice. Like we're 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 good together. We drink together. We're happy together, and it helps that Marquette is good. And so that whole week, you're there. I don't know if you ever been to like NCAA tournament coverage and it's so much different than covering like day-to-day NCAA basketball because one national media is there and it's a whole different scene like when you're there asking questions real, real quick, yeah you, you asked you asked if, I don't know if you've been there just no we we have not been uh credentialed yet just okay to well, that. no so we haven't been. if anyone <laughs> wants to credential us we will be <laughs> yes we're we're, and, we're 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 definitely willing to and i think ex- in spreading that experience to everyone is important because it's so different than what you experience from a day-to-day standpoint so again i'm a student i'm a senior i've talked to players for two or three years now i've written stories i've talked to sids and and kind of work behind the scenes but when you're at the ncaa tournament even if you're a student reporter even if you're nobody like i was you get treated as if you're you're important and that is a huge huge difference and it's important again because now we got to talk about the star of the show at the ncaa tournament and that is buzz williams so again we're in Louisville, where Kentucky is, where Murray State happens to have a giant fan base in Louisville as well as BBN. But the star is Buzz Williams. And why is he the star? Because he has the media just wrapped around his finger. Like he is the best showman I've ever seen in my life. He just like he designed. He could win an Academy Award. Like he is that good. So that whole week, all anyone is talking about, and not no one's talking about Marquette versus BYU in the first round. BYU being the first 14 seed to be moved up two slots because they had to not play on a Sunday. All they want to talk about is, hey, should your players be on a football squad? Should DJO be playing football? Should Jay Crowder be a tight end? Because these guys are big, and they—he so is the best. And I have a lot of conflicted feelings about Buzz Williams, but there is no denying that man can orchestrate a press conference as good or better than anyone in the country. Cal, Coach K—I don't care who you want to put up there—he is as good with the media as anyone else. And why does that matter? Because his treatment of the media, the national media in particular, helps inform the way regular fans like me, you, or anyone listening to this show think about him. So, so think about it this way. What you read in a CBS column or a Fox Sports column or an ESPN column is probably from a writer that has a good connection with the coach uh, because it's difficult to get to, to those connections or you're not going to get those stories. So what he does in 2011 is the first, again, we'll go back a little bit. The first time that he made it to the second weekend, he's in Cleveland about to play North Carolina and he lays down his life story in front of Bob Ryan and like just lays it on so thick, like four layers of peanut butter thick. Just like, I can't even chew, I need a glass of milk thick. And Bob (laughs) Ryan writes the most glowing write-up of Buzz Williams that you'll ever see in a national outlet. And I 
probably writing for the Boston Globe or whatever, but Bob Bryant is Mr. Basketball. Like, if Bob Bryant is writing about someone, you read it, you listen, and you agree to it because he has 75 years of experience. So when he's writing about Buzz Williams in Cleveland in the second round of the NCAA tournament, like, you're like, oh, my God, I love this man. So that was me, junior Mark student, senior Mark student. I love this man. Like, Buzz Williams is Al McGuire reincarnate. Maybe the results are not the same, but he has this control of his surroundings. He has this control of the media. He has this control of the people that he does not actually control, that no one can match. And this is important outside of the, the actual results because there is the most conflict you will ever find behind the scenes. Again, this is getting really into the weeds, but it's super important in the way that the rest of the future plays out and it impacts Virginia Tech, it impacts Texas Tech, it impacts Texas, it impacts a whole bunch of other schools in terms of the, the coaching carousel. But at this point in time, Buzz Williams, the toast of the town, can do no wrong, is the fans' idol in Marquette. But he's looking for a way out. He's looking for a way out. Why is he looking for a way out? He has everything. He has a rolling contract, which means every single year he gets a raise and an extension, no matter what happens. They <laughs> did you ask for something better? That, yeah, that's a pretty sick deal. It's, it's legit the best deal in the world. He has a five-year contract, no matter what. His, his agent wins. He doesn't have an agent. He's his own agent. So like, sorry, he oh, wins. Oh, this motherfucker! This motherfucker! Legit, legit? No, trust me. It, it's incredible the the deals that he's been able to work without an agent he's so he's so calculated he is every single move so so you have me again and i, I use myself as a kind of a pawn in this chessboard because i represent a lot of people unwillingly unfortunately but i'm here as a student kind of fawning over the cult of Bulls williams Buzz Williams, the man who, 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 who uh, uh, all throughout his, his tenure there, talks about how much he loves Marquette, you know, wants to say that this is his dream job. Don't mess with him. It's not, it's, it, yeah, not just the bullshit yeah. coach no. speak. No, it's no, no, no. genuine. It's, it's real. He's, he's here for the long haul. Let's, let's go let's back a little bit. Up. Buzz, so, Buzz is going to be our guy for 20 years. So where did Buzz Williams come from? He was a JUCO assistant coach, Colorado State assistant coach, somewhere else assistant coach, and then he got the New Orleans job in 2006, I believe. New Orleans. He quit after one year saying, I'm not getting enough assistance from my athletic department. I cannot succeed here. Can you imagine your first job and your first year saying, you know what? My administration is not supporting me enough. I quit. So then he gets hired by Tom Crean and Marquette as an assistant because he's a great recruiter. He's a great people person. Tom Crean leaves for, for Indiana. And then by some stroke of luck, some miracle, the Marquette administration says, you know what? Buzz, I know you quit your last job two years ago, but I believe in you. I believe that you can be the man. I believe that you should lead this Al McGuire historical squad to the promised land. And he gets, not, not just that, imagine getting handed a top 15 team for a 
you don't deserve to be an assistant coach. No one has ever gotten a chance like Buzz has gotten. Buzz got an opportunity he did not deserve and made the most of it. Then he got an opportunity and just killed it. So he is the toast of the town. Now we're at this year, 2012. Again, we're in we're in Louisville, Kentucky. Let's set the scene. Um, Kentucky is there as the number one seed with Anthony Davis, one of the best teams we've ever seen in in collegiate sports. Um, again, if if you know anything about Louisville, that that is Kentucky. So Kentucky media is all over the place. The fact that Buzz Williams is dominating these press conferences means a ton. It means that he has this this charisma that. Most people just just cannot uh, match. So they're facing BYU in the first round of the NCAA tournament, um, led by oh, I forget the name of the coach, but he's battling cancer. So it's another like kind of very emotional story, and and still Buzz Williams is like the man. Jay Crowder goes off. The team wins easily. So now they face Murray State in the second round, the round of thirty-two. For those that aren't aware, Murray State is actually based in Kentucky. And most Kentucky fans will root for some of the in-state teams that are not rivals of Kentucky. So Anyone but Louisville, really. Yes, anyone but Louisville. It's exactly right. So I am there, again, as a quote-unquote unbiased media member with 18,000 quote-unquote non-Murray State fans. And by quote-unquote, I mean not at all. I am a 100% biased member facing 18,000 Murray State fans. So this is a number three, what is that number three seed in the NCAA tournament, having to face Murray State, an in-state kind of darling, very good player on the team, Isaiah Cannon. He didn't have a huge NBA career, but he was kind of like John Morant before John Morant, where he just dominated at that level. He walks so John Morant could run. It 100, that's a beautiful phrase. That is exactly right. Isaiah, Isaiah Cannon walks so John Moran can run. But I was sitting on press row right in front of Ashley Judd, huge Kentucky fan. Like, you know, the, oh, is she? Yeah. yeah I mean, you, you might have seen her on a telecast. Never too. heard of that before. You know, I mean, I'm a little young, maybe a 90s person, but, but, but. Well, that Ashley Judd? That Ashley Judd, yeah. So I'm sitting there. Um, again, just, Trying to contain my fandom is putting my journalist hat on. It was not a good game. Very low scoring. Um, not particularly exciting. But uh, Murray State takes the lead late. Uh, and the place is just going nuts. Just just, just absolutely nuts. I think it was 46 to 41 with about seven minutes left. Um, and again, there's only like 16 MU fans behind the, the behind the MU bench, everyone else is Murray State. And it's just like, man, this sucks, because this was such a good season. Jake Crowder won Biggie's Player of the Year. Like, There's going to be multiple NBA draft picks. Buzz Williams might leave. And we're going to just end it in Louisville, Kentucky, to Murray frickin' State. But Devontae Gardner, and we haven't really talked about him, but Devontae Gardner, Big Ox, Day Day, if you're not an NCAA fan, like a hardcore fan, you may not remember that name, but that dude was a dude. So imagine a 6'8", 300-pound stud of a man who cannot do anything but just have beautiful footwork, like Elijah Wan-type footwork, just body up anyone under the basket. And he really was 
phenomenal. Like if I, if I were to look at the synergy stats right now, I'm sure his post-up stats would be in the top 20%, top 10% when he was there. So he takes over um, while there's a little bit of foul trouble. trouble. He gets Marquette back into it. Jay and DJO end up finishing the job. Marquette beats Murray State. And again, imagine me, senior year, unbiased slash biased fan. And I'm just like running through these Yum Center hallways, like just with my my adrenaline going off the roof. I'm I'm chest bumping the Golden Eagle mascot in the locker room. <laughs> just like going nuts. So I'm like trying to write... Adam's, I'm taking videos in the locker room, and Adam Zagoria, who writes um, nationally and for some New York outlets, is, is like asking for some of my stuff that I'm taking. So it's just like legit, the absolute best day ever. And then to top matters off, there's after the game, um, again, I have to leave the next day. It's a 5 a.m. wake up call. I have an 8 a.m. flight back to Chicago. And, uh, Adam Zagoria, who we, we got to know a little bit, and um, he went to our hotel room a couple times that weekend. Um, Pat Ford, Jeff Goodman, some of these really big national writer names are drinking at a bar real close to the Yum Center afterwards. And they're like, hey, you want to join us? <laughs> Who's going to say no to that, right? So my friend and I go over there, and we're just like listening as they're – you know, talking about college basketball, like, this is the best day ever. Like, Marquette just beat Murray State. We're going to the Sweet 16. I'm listening to my heroes, like, shoot the shit over beer. And then they start talking about press conference stuff. And for some reason, I chime in. Again, I'm super, like, wallflower kind of person. Like, I don't talk in public settings. And Buzz Williams had me, like, wrapped around his finger to the point where I'm talking to Jeff Goodman and in company about him. I'm like, yeah, Buzz Williams, he's the man. <laughs> Jeff Goodman looks at me. Like, you know, one of those oh poor dude looks on his face. <laughs> like he sees it in my eyes. He's the puppy dog eyes. He sees the love. And he's like, you don't even know, bro. Don't know what. He's like, he doesn't love you. <laughs> he didn't say that. It wasn't like that, but you can see it. You can see it in his eyes. You can you can see yeah, and so I'm like, again, we were talking about press conference people, and and he and he says, listen, Buzz Williams would have been gone last year if he could have. Like, what do you mean? He loves Marquette. He says he's going to be here as long as, as as he's happy. He's like, listen, Buzz Williams would have been at Oklahoma in 2011 if it wasn't for all of the sexual assault stuff going on in Marquette at the time that made Oklahoma back off. That's where he wanted to be. That's where he was going to be. That's where he was going to be hired. So, like, again, imagine the best day of your life and just having just, like, a torrential downpour just wipe every, all of that away. And that was that was me. And that was the, basically the end of my season where you, you are this doe-eyed kind of fan and someone with, like, the real perspective comes in and tells you, like, you're wrong. You, you don't know anything. Like you're just he a fan. Love you. He, he doesn't, doesn't love you. Yeah. That's exactly it. He does not love you. And I think this is really, really important to talk about Buzz because Buzz Williams is the most successful coach since Al McGuire. 
that's no bias, that's no cap, that is just all truth. When it comes to Marquette basketball, no one has had the, mar- the success that Buzz Williams had. Mm-hmm. Okay. Buzz Williams is a fraud of a man, a liar, a cheat, and not someone you want to emulate. Both things are true. He is an unbelievable coach. Great coach. I'm sure he's going to lead Texas A&M to, to great heights at some point. Uh, I have zero doubts about it. He could become one of like Tony Robbins' like uh, motivational speakers, and I would not bat an eye because he gets people to do things they don't want to do better than anyone I've ever seen in my life. Now, why does that matter to Marquette? Because he got this team of good to not great players to play way beyond their abilities. But, 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 and there's a huge but. He's a snake oil salesman. That's what he is. That's what he is. He did not want to be a Marquette, and he proved it time and time again. Um, So in terms of, like, conflicting feelings, the reason the Marquette fans have this kind of angst towards Buzz Williams is that they achieved professional in terms of basketball on-court greatness. They hadn't felt since basically or sustained level since 1970s, which most of us weren't alive for, but it was at the cost of rooting for a man who like actively hates you. And it's such a weird dichotomy to think about that. Like he didn't care. Yes, actually you're right. But he would, but he would portray that he did love Mark. 100%. But he wants to be beloved as well. Uh, unless you do commit to like one school for your entire career, you can't get around that buzz. This is a season that for as much success as Marquette has is just a harbinger of all the bad that's to come. And it's so sad to look back at it and see this and see how maybe not preventable, but how like obvious it was. So as I remember, and as I look back on Louisville 2012, I think some of like my best times of my life, some of the best times of Marquette basketball, and just know that the worst times are coming. So as Marquette beats Murray State, and I'm chest bumping the old Golden Eagle, and I'm running through the Yum Center uh, hallways, like it's awesome. It's awesome to have been there, and it's awesome to have felt that. But then they make it to the Sweet 16 for the second straight year, and they face Florida. And at the time, like, it was a very even matchup. I, I don't think there was a clear favorite in Vegas. Um, I think that Florida was favored by a little bit in terms of, like, some of the advanced metrics. But it was it was a close enough game where, again, I was working in the newspaper at the time, and you got to be ready in case they win. So we're working on this like package and we're selling it to advertisers on Ola Nola. Cause the, the final four is in new Orleans that year. So we, I have this, this whole PDF saved on my hard drive of the, like the six page advertising special, the, like the best stories of the year. And you have Buzz Williams on the front with, with Mardi Gras beads on his, on, on the, on the, on his neck. And yeah, like you wish that could, that could happen, but, Bradley Beal had other thoughts, to be honest. And uh, what ended up happening is Marquette just, just could not match that. They had a bad shooting day. Jay Crowder really couldn't get started. So 
instead of having the storybook ending and kind of reaching farther than they, they ever had been, Marquette just kind of goes out with a whimper in, I think they were playing in Arizona at the time. It was, it was a, a good season overall, um, super enjoyable. Again, Big East Player of the Year for the first time ever, second place in the Big East for the first time ever, top eight seed for the first time, tied for the, for the best rank since 1978, um, super successful, very high highs, a team that had a switch, which not all teams have, where if they turn the switch on, they can just score 15 points in the blink of an eye. DJO got drafted in the second round. Jake Carter got drafted in the second round. Um, Bender Blue ended up playing some in the NBA. Day uh, Day, Devontae Gardner, who became a legend in Asia. Jamil Wilson got a, a cup of tea in the NBA. Uh, so, so many, like, really deep, in fact, impactful, good players. But, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, no one's going to remember just the Sweet 16 team. This team was built for so much more. If Chris Tule doesn't get hurt, if maybe they don't spend every weekend at Buck Bradley's, maybe if if Buzz Williams actually cares about staying on campus and not looking at the next best job. It's like this team is a great example of just the, what talent can do on its own without the rest of it. Because they had the talent, and they had the talent to beat anybody on any given night, but it didn't have everything else that you need to make a deep run in March, whether it's the chemistry or the coaching or the buy-in or whatever makes those March run specials. So for me, like for me in particular, and for for a lot of people, I don't know how, how many people I'm, I'm speaking for, this 2012 team is kind of unfinished business. This team was built for so much more. This team was built for a Final Four run. Jay Crowder is as good of a college player as I've ever seen. DJO can dunk on anyone. He can hit the tray. Junior Cadugan can, can find the open man. Jamil Wilson. Jamil Wilson was the ultimate, never fulfilled his college promise kind of guy. Vander Blue, all the, all the talents in the world, never really got there. This was a team that could have recreated 2003. That could have been kind of that lasting legacy. But it just becomes kind of a, a what if kind of year. We'll get you out on this question. You had to pick one moment, and I'm, there's many. What is the sweatiest you've seen Buzz Williams ever? Oh, that's a good question. The sweatiest I've ever seen Buzz Williams ever. In 2010, against Louisville, DJO had this put-back dunk that was nuts. That was just like something you see on N1 mixtapes, just like coming out of nowhere. And Buzz Williams goes down the sideline doing this high step. It's just super weird for a coach to do, where it's not just like a, a jump-up awesome reaction, but like legit, like high-stepping on the sideline, he just pick-sixed it. And he's he already lost his his jacket and he's just drenched down the side and his back is nasty. So I would say that because it's a positive memory. I don't know if it's a one. Again, it's not 2012, but that is definitely the sweatiest I've ever remembered buzz. There you have it. 
That is the story. And these are the college basketball stories. Is it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at the CBB Stories. Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcast Network at the Stories Pods on Twitter as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly. I actually remember that. He was <laughs> soaked. <laughs> like, like legit, it's a different color blue because he has a he has a light yeah. blue shirt on and it's dark blue in the back and it's just like nasty if you think about it. But at the same time, it's like, man, that dude cares about his team. That dude is like living it. So, I mean, at that time, at the, like, ti- at the time, at the time, you thought he loved Marquette. legit yeah i'll be there it's coming from two guys who sweat a lot that we can appreciate his uh yeah yeah. we're we're both big sweaters oh you're talking to me i'm 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 hispanic so if i don't put on like six pounds of deodorant every morning my my shirt sweater (laughs) and third layer are are done for so yeah I i feel it Jump right into it. Like I said, as much, you know, as many takes as you need. I'm getting a little drunk myself. I can't take my rambling. <laughs> there is 100% a Buzz Williams kind of like hive slash haterade kind of group. So, yes, I, I, I can tell you from for a fact I, there is it. And and that's the thing is I, I think he does have that, that polarizing view where – People, when he's like on your team, you absolutely love this guy. Yep. But then once once you leave and yeah. kind of learn the details of everything, you're like, oh, that guy's a fucking snake. Yep. That is that is it. And, and he's it. just he just he just he just polar and then everyone else doesn't really give a shit. But yeah. the people who actually know him or have experienced him, he, like you're you're on one side or the other. There's no there's no casual Buzz Williams fan who's of Marquette or Virginia Tech, right? There's there's all that you you love him or you hate him, and you only love him until he leaves, and then you hate him because you learn everything. I had a friend that was on the newspaper with me, and she would work at the athletic department, and he would park his Escalade in the front of the Al McGuire Center and then have someone else park it legit, just like turn left across two lanes and park it because he couldn't do that himself. And the big joke on the the market message boards is that he wouldn't flush himself. He would have someone else flush for him. Because I don't like I can't I can't I vouch it. for that. But that is you you nailed I wouldn't it. Put it past him. And I think people have begun to realize, like at, at the time yeah. Mar at, when he left Marquette, people were surprised. Like what happened yeah. there? He was so, he seemed so great. He seemed so genuine. Something must have happened behind the scenes. Who knows? Whatever. He's at Virginia Tech now, and then he did the, the same thing to Virginia Tech. And it's 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 he he wants it both ways, and you yep. can't have that. No, I mean you hit that on the head. And actually, I'll I'll try to shed a little bit of light into the background. So he was hired at Marquette after Tom Crean left by Steve Cottingham, who was the AD at the time. And so he 
he personally feels a ton of indebtedness to Steve as a person because, again, he does not deserve that role. He quit on his last job. He probably did not deserve any sort of role in a major institution or or a sub-major institution as Marquette would be, depending on how you want to describe it, this soon, this quickly. So that happens. In 2011, there is this kind of low-boiling scandal. There's a sexual assault that was never fully charged. So it wasn't charged by the Milwaukee Police Department, but it's it's kind of publicized in the Chicago Tribune. And if you know anything about Marquette, Marquette is that a huge population lives in Chicago, a huge population of the students it's, and the alumni population. Yeah. Yeah. For anyone listening, it's like 90 minutes north. Exactly. Exactly. So you have, you have that happen. So that, that's the whole reason why Oklahoma never took a shot on him because that was still kind of ongoing. It was public. It was semi-national. Steve Cunningham loses his job. So he's the athletic director of Marquette. He loses his job because of this, because of the way it was handled, because of the way the athletic firm was involved. And in comes Larry Williams, who was a Notre Dame grad. I, I note that because there is a huge bias within the alumni population against Notre Dame, whether it's right or not. A lot of it comes from the 70s and, and the kind of the rivalry that they had. But... Larry Williams comes in as kind of an enforcer against Buzz Williams. And by the enfor- and he comes in in 2012 season, so this actually matches up perfectly. By enforcer, I mean he comes down to lay down the law in terms of you can't do this, you get punished. You can't do this, you can't you get punished, you can't do this. So JUCOs, junior college players, before Buzz Williams has made his name on JUCOs, Jay Crowder. Jimmy Butler, Dwight Bikes, DJO, those are all JUCO players that all made the NBA. Like he is, his bread and butter is JUCO players. And now the new administration comes and says, listen, Buzz, you cannot accept a JUCO player unless he is on track to graduate. And that was specifically with Jay Crowder because Jay, I'm not sure if you're familiar or not, his first year he spent at his junior college, all those credits did not count towards anything. So then he transferred to a different junior college and his, those credits counted. So basically when he came to Marquette, there was 0% chance that he would graduate on a four-year timeline and he only had two years. So basically what the administration did at the time was handicap Buzz's ability to grab any Juco player, which he was maybe the best, probably the best in the country at picking out. Um, the talent coming from the junior college ranks. Okay. Two, at that time, the Marquette basketball players lived on an off-campus, on an on-campus dorm that wasn't part of campus housing. What does that mean? They lived in Humphrey Hall, which wasn't a dorm. There was kind of an apartment complex. It was owned by the university, but it wasn't, didn't have the same regulation stipulations. The The new administration comes in and says, hey, the basketball team has to be part of the normal gen pop. So if they're a freshman or sophomore, they have to live with freshmen or sophomores. I mean, as much as I like to think basketball players are part of the gen pop, they're not. They're not at all. So this was, a, again, a huge recruiting thing in terms of instead of saying, telling, hey, you're freshman from 
top 60 from wherever you can live as an, in an apartment, you have to go to a dorm where you can't have women after 10 p.m. or you have to check in any guests or you have to swipe your card every time you walk in. Third, there's a reason why there's a reason why most universities don't do that. Correct. Correct. Third, um, again, when Steve Cunningham was fired after all the sexual assault stuff, Larry William comes in and basically institutes a zero tolerance policy. So, as is skipping a little bit past, but in, two, in in the summer of 2012, Steve Monarch, what is his name? Monarch, one of the assistant coaches of Marquette, Buzz Williams' best friend, gives a recruit, a potential recruit, a t-shirt and a ride off campus when he's not supposed to. It's an NCAA violation. So, so it gets reported. Goddamn t-shirts and, and, a, and a ride. It gets reported. So then um, the compliance department in Marquette interviews him about it and he lies about it. But they prove that he's lying. So Monarch gets fired. So now, again, this is Buzz Williams' best friend since high school. And he and he's fired. And the other two assistant coaches in 2012 get fired or move on to a different different location. So you could I'm not blaming the administration. I'm not blaming Buzz. I think it was a very, very tough period in general. But you see exactly where kind of that strife came from. Where so when when Buzz Williams moves on to Virginia Tech, it's surprising to a ton of people. It's surprising to me. It has the basis in this 2012 season because that's when all of this kind of stuff happened. So, again, the new the new um, AD is Larry Williams, and he's an ND grad, and he's tasked with kind of striking the whip. So, you, anyone who's feeling the brunt of that whip is going to revolt against that, and Buzz is no different from any one of us. So. Buzz, uh, Buzz is kind of at odds with Larry Williams all season in terms of everything that's happening. The dorm situation, the JUCO situation, just the, the whole recruiting landscape. And then the the West Virginia game happens, and we, we just talked about that. And you, the, one of the lasting images is Larry and Buzz just slapping five as hard as they can. And I'm sure there's a video somewhere. They're just like hitting each other multiple times, like just raw anger coming out against each other. And again, that's probably excitement at the fact that they won that game that they suspended half the team for half of the game. But you could tell that there's just so much more going on. So and it obviously, 2022, it's obvious to say something was obvious in 2012. But I looked back at a column earlier today, and it was in 2012. I wrote it in August about, it was called Character Revealed, about Buzz Williams being at odds with the administration. And it was the exact same things we talked about right now. And you know why? Because it wasn't difficult to see. Like, the, the two positions each side had were completely kind of, Obvious. It's a t terrible word. I'm sorry. I'm I'm using the same word over and over. But Buzz Williams wanted to coach, wanted to win, and wanted to do it his way. Marquette wanted to stay out of the bad press. 
wanted to win the right way and wanted to do it in a way that made the president proud. There was a new president, there was a new AD, Buzz was the same, he was working on a different president under a different AD, and it was just, just at odds. So this was the last year of like everything being good together. So even in 2013 when they made the Elite Eight, there's just so much alacrity, animosity, and kind of like hatred between the athletic department, at least Buzz Williams' portion of the athletic department, and the, the educational side of Marquette, that 2012 was the last like pure year. So again, I was there and um, there's a new president coming in. So Father Wild was retiring and Father Pilars was coming into Marquette. And so I, I had this like uh, GoPro camera and I'm, I'm just, I, I remember going up and interviewing Father Pilars. I'm like, so what does this mean to you? And you see, and he's got his red face he's like, this is great for the university. It's always good to have good publicity. And like, you could tell, like he doesn't know basketball and you could like, you, when people are faking it, like it's so obvious. And it was obvious at the time, but like now looking back at it 10 years later, it's like, this was, this was never going to be anything but a kind of a failed marriage together.